Good afternoon, folks. Welcome to the podcast, The Lotus Eaters, for Friday, the 26th of January, 2024. Yes, you've made it to Friday, the last Friday in January. So that was the first month of 2024. Wasn't easy, was it? Um, I'm joined by Travis and Peter, and we are, sorry, Travis Brown, was it? Yes. Yeah. And Peter Bogosian, and we are going to be talking about the plagiarism in academia scandal, uh, uncomfortable truths about gender ideology, and then we're going to touch on gay surrogacy. Nothing controversial on this pod. Nothing controversial. Um, But before we begin, we've got a couple of announcements. The first is we are recruiting. We would like a social media manager. So if you are watching and think you can do a good job running our social media accounts, do get in touch. Remember, one stipulation of the job is you have to work from the office. So don't apply if you're like in Australia or something and you can't make it on a daily basis. Uh, The second announcement is that we have the gold zoom, the monthly gold Zoom call for the gold tier subscribers at three o'clock today. So after the podcast, we'll come and hang out and we'll just talk about whatever it is that's on your mind, really. Uh, but that should be quite fun. And so we will see you there. In the meantime, though, let's begin. So how widespread is plagiarism in academia? Well, I have an academic here who's going to explain it to us. That is who. Thank you. Great to great to be here. Uh, that is the million dollar question. How wide how widespread is it? Before we get into it, do you want to give us your background, just so people can understand how we became friends? How yeah, sure. Yeah, we've known each other a long yeah. time, friends for a long time. So, I taught at Portland State University, taught philosophy. Uh, my I did my dissertations in the prisons, and I worked with increasing prisoners' critical thinking and moral reasoning and uh, abilities. And I resigned from Portland State because it was a woke cesspool. And then I've written books about how to have impossible conversations, and I travel around the world, and we do with Travis and Reed, and who's the president of uh, street epistemology. That's basically it. The, the plagiarism issue is, it will be my prediction to you is, I'm a big fan, don't tell anybody how smart you are, make predictions, as my friend Michael Sharma says. I predict that this is going to be a massive scandal. I think it an, already is. An epic scandal, yeah. So what here's, okay, so let's talk about the elements of the scandal. Yeah. First is Claudine Gay. Yeah. So she herself is, oh, and that's fantastic. So this is exact, so your viewers will see this, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah So the viewers should see it. So they can look for themselves, right? So they can compare what she wrote uh, and what other people wrote. And I want to say something that gets lost in this conversation. So plagiarism is basically the idea that you steal someone else's yeah. work intellectual work and you don't take credit for it but this is what's left out of this conversation that i really that's super important so when people write a dissertation today they can just put things on a screen and copy and paste etc but back when she did it people you had to write it by hand exactly so there's a kind of intentionality to that to that theft that's absent in the context today okay so that's one thing your question is an excellent one. I don't know the answer to it, but I'm going to guess. In the humanities, I would guess seven to nine percent of dissertations are plagiarized. That seems high. That's very high. In the sciences, I think it's less, but I think uh, data fraud is a different issue. Now, I could be way off on that if it's hovering around the fifteen or twenty percent. And what I mean is like Claudine Gay, black and white. Um, and so the other thing is that's hard to imagine is she even plagiarized her acknowledgments. Like, thank you to so-and-so. <laughs> she plagiarized. Okay, so we got that's one level of corruption. Yeah. Another level of corruption is that universities are making it more difficult to find dissertations now. They're, they're basically doing the best they can to hide them. Now, why are they doing that? Well, they're doing that because they know the pl- plagiarism is rampant. Yeah. And again, 
that, that my figure of seven to nine could be wrong. It could be 15 or 20. Yeah, I mean, it could be high. huge. Okay. So then you have universities attempting to hide this, uh, uh, these plagiarized dissertations. That's another thing. But then there's yet another kind of corruption. And that is that there are entire fields that are corrupt. Yeah. The whole, anything with studies in it as a general rule is corrupt. These are ideological fields that push certain narratives. It's, they're inherently fraudulent. So you have layers of corruption and fraud. And these are our engines of knowledge production. These are teaching our kids. So when I say burn them down, I mean actually like that's it. Like the, the, why would you want to have something in your society teaching people bad ways to think about fallacious conclusions? Yeah. And burning it down is, I mean, the, the response to this was brilliant. Uh, the first one was, well, you're only doing this because she's a black woman. And right. Mark Lamont Hill. A lot of people said that. Well, right? the response to that is, no, we hired her because she was a black woman. That's correct. The reason she's being given a pass by you guys is because she's a black woman. That's correct. And so we should talk about that. So in academia, seven publications in seven years get you tenure. Yep. Now, one thing that I recommend the audience do is you go to scholar.google.com, put in my name, put in anybody's name who's an academic, put in, put in Jordan Peterson's name, put in Steven Pinker's name, put in uh, Foucault's name. Those people have extraordinarily high, what's called an H index, the number of citations, prestige of the journals. Claudine Gay, she doesn't even have a profile. Oh, really? Her, her citations are high uh, for the article she's written, but the articles themselves are basically bogus. They're about make-believe land. And so there's a small cadre of people who keep, who keep citing other people in these make-believe disciplines, and that artificially inflates the, the citation rating. But she only has 11 publications. I mean, yeah. when we did fake papers, we wrote 20 papers in a year. Seven were accepted before we got busted by the Wall Street Journal. So, I mean, 11 papers <laughs> is nothing for a full professor at Harvard. She's making $900,000 a year. And instead of firing her, she keeps her job. She keeps her, well, she keeps her university position. The, but it's, it's worse though, isn't it? Because the ranks close around her. 100%. It was all of the academics, the entire faculty of Harvard, the, the board of directors, and the media. Correct. The, 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 the wider, and Obama. And Obama, yeah. Like the wider uh, circles all closed ranks to protect her, even though, I mean, I mean, this is just, I would be deeply embarrassed. It's a disgrace. It's me, it's a and I'm not an academic. Yeah. So, so, like, the fact that they're doing this shows that this has just become a them and us. Yeah. So, so think about this. They conducted an investigation, Harvard, internal investigation of plagiarism. They found her innocent before they even investigated. Yeah. I mean, think I mean, about very so The level of corruption is astonishing. And this is Harvard. This is not some rinky-dink community college yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. where everybody's buddy-buddying around. This is the, you, I don't know if you want to say Western world, but certainly one of the top universities in the Western world. Theoretically, it's one of the top universities. Historically, it was one of the top universities. Okay, so that there helps. we go. Yeah. There we go. So, so what do we do? So, so what are the consequences of that? And again, I don't want people who are watching this just to think, oh, wow, there are a bunch of people who are plagiarized. There's, there's, this is a corruption scandal. That's why this is so interesting. Bodies of literature corrupt, people hiding dissertations, people hide because of a basically an immutable characteristic. And it's even been floated. What if a certain percentage of people, what if a higher percentage of people fit in an ethnic dem demographic who have plagiarized? What do we do then? Like, well, I mean, imagine even asking that kind of question. Like, imagine what you would have to do to even think 
like to break society up into racial categories in the first place. If you didn't plagiarize your dissertation, you've got nothing to worry about. Yeah. I put my plagiarism, my dissertation. So, so one more thing. So this is a very complicated area. So I'm speaking quickly, mm -hmm. but it's not as simple as, and if people are, are, are watching this, it's not this that you can go out and become an internet sleuth and track down people's dissertation and put them through plagiarism checker. The reason you can't do that is because there are false positives and false negatives. And before, these a very serious accusation. That's like, in a, like the most serious of accusations, which Claudine Gay tried to decrease the standards for plagiarism because she knew she was guilty. Okay. So the, the problem is it's not just like you go to this program called Turn It In or what have you. And if you do that, you, you have to physically, like this, this is what you need to do. You need to take the paragraphs and put them next to each other yeah. and go through those. Because if you don't do that, you don't want a situation in which we start accusing people of things they haven't done it and then the public will think oh well it's no big deal and and just to be clear as well the, the reason that this is a genuine issue is because in almost every field there are going to be certain formulas to describe a thing right. that people use right. right so you you might be saying a western liberal democracy or something like this and it's not inconceivable that you'll say something like well i think western liberal democracy is a good thing and that's not plagiarism that lots of people will have written that sentence. Right, right. right. And so, because there's a certain formulation of the concept that you're putting across. Okay. So it's very easy for people to sort of duplicate that without it being plagiarism. Okay. So th this is how I think we should think about this. Let's say, I assume they call fire, fire you have fire departments here. Is that, yeah. is that what they call? Okay. We, we have fire departments. Okay. Well, I don't know if they're called fire departments. So, so some of the words. Fire stations. Okay. Fire stations. You have fire stations. And I assume in, I'd be, shocked if this were not the case mm -hmm. you have to take some kind of fire person's exam to get, i imagine i've never been a fireman i don't know but i would be and the idea of the exam is that it tests things necessary for you to know how to discharge your primary function which is to put out fires okay i'm assuming that's the way it works <laughs> everything i've said is totally reasonable seems so okay so now let's think about how completely deranged this is <laughs> so we have a situation in which a large number, a non-trivial number of people who fire men, fire women, what have you, firefighters, have lied on the examination. Yep. And the examination is necessary for you to put out fires. Yep. So what should the fire, if there's a chief municipality <clears throat> of governing firefighters, I have no idea, but what is the reasonable response of these people? Any sane person would say, well, we, we don't want people to die in fires. That's the whole point of the fire department. So when you're going to root, root out the corruption, we're going to find out who cheated. We're going to conduct a thorough investigation and we're going to just boot you. That's yeah. it. There's no, there's no appeal. If you're guilty of, of not play, the plagiarism is a parallel, but if you're guilty Cheating of, on the fire exam. Yeah. Then you're out. There's no if, Sandra. I don't care if you're a midget. I don't care if you're, <laughs> well, yeah. well, I don't care what you are. If you yeah. cheated on the fire, fireman's exam, you're not going to be a firefighter. Like you, that's it. Your days are over. So when you do that, you restore confidence in the fire department among the citizens who believe the fire department can actually put off fires. Yeah. And that is not what's happened in this case. No, no. The opposite has happened. Yeah. We've the universities have lost even more legitimacy. And I, th I think it's also worth noting that this um, was not actually originally a plagiarism scandal. What this originally was is a really strange anti-Semitism scandal, where for some reason, 
the president of Harvard was like, no, actually, you can chant for the death of Jews as long as it's not at a Jew. Yeah. It's like, right, okay, that's Context, not... Yeah, yeah that, that's really weird because, you know, in every other case, I mean, we've experienced this personally. Yeah. What we're doing, it's not context-dependent, actually. Right. It's it's in in any time, in any place, in any for any reason. Yeah. So, okay, actually, in every other case, it's not context-dependent. But in this case, when right. it's defending your radicalized students, right. it becomes very context-dependent. And that's what they all ranked around. And so people like Chris Rufo, who found, well, hang on a second, there is an, an, another reason to get rid of her. If right. for some reason screaming anti-Semitic chants on Harvard is fine, well, why have we got all these plagiarists? And then you see the backlash and the sort of kickback from all that. So, well, well, I mean, plagiarism is not a big deal. No, it is a massive deal. Yeah. Explained. But then they started. Uh, I, I saw them sort of yeah. saying, "Well, yeah, but this this means that everyone's going to have to be checked." And it's like, good thing we've got AI, then, isn't it? Yeah. You know. Okay, so let's let's talk about that. Mm. So, part of that endemic corruption is then universities now rushing to change the plagiarism standard. Yes. So just, again, the analogy breaks down with the fire department at some point because you don't rush to change the standards. They do. They do rush to change the standards because what they say is, well, we're not getting enough women and minorities because they're not uh, okay, passing okay. the fitness tests, and so they lower the fitness Right. Test. So that's exactly, that would be there a great. exactly a parallel. Okay. So in and that, it's being done for the same reasons. It, that's it's the, the same, same ideology the same, that controls. The same reasons. And I would argue that the same consequence applies is that people have less confidence yeah. in the institutions to discharge their primary missions. Well, why would you have any confidence? Because the per the people have been caught in the act of cheating. Right. And they've, they've been caught for something else. Right. Okay, uh, but we can show that they are cheating and they're not doing their job sufficiently well, right. even with the moral question taken away. It, and then they've said, well, no, we're going to double down and just say we don't have to do as much as we need to do anyway. Right. And so they're, they're deliberately saying, no, our institution is actually not really fit for purpose. 100%. And just to be crystal clear, these are not your rules. Yeah. These are not my rules. Yeah. They're these their own the rules. Pre, right. These are their rules. These are the pre-existing <laughs> rules that they agreed to. But you know that they don't care about consistency. No, that's, that's the, problem. the problem. So I'm wondering, what do you think will be the over, other than people are already losing interest and confidence in these institutions. Yeah. So what do you think will be the practical implications? Because as, as I've said to you, I think that they'll just move on from this. I think they'll say, well, we already know objectivity is a you know, white Western construct. Right. We already know the scientific method is based on white supremacy. This is what they say. Right. So how do you defend against that? Okay, so you have a, a number of different responses to that. All those people who go through crazy town and make those arguments, every the vast majority of people are sane and don't believe that. The sure. overwhelming majority. So they're going to see that conspicuous naked ideological stance and then you say hey wait a second should we really be paying x number of hundreds of thousands of dollars for our kids education should we like what are they really getting out of this and not just that donors as well right because then you've got like you know very uh, harvard graduates who have done very well for themselves and then donate money to the university because of the yeah, yeah. Oh, don't, yeah that, that's the other thing the donors yeah the yeah uh, I was going to say, but will they? Because we both know people in Portland, Oregon that still live there and they still think that defunding the police was a good idea, right. even though more black people died as a result. Right. They still believe it. I mean, it's it's so insane. I, they just I'm, doubled down. I, I haven't got any uh, data, but I am absolutely certain that there were donors pulling out of Harvard. Um, so oh, yeah. I, I well, sure, we know sure. that. They yeah. lost over a billion in their endowments. Well, we, yeah, we know that. So some, I, heard, I heard Harvard described as a, um, a hedge fund with a school attached to it. There is definitely an argument. Yeah. So, so the question is, what do we do as a society? So what do we do? We are at the precipice and that's assuming that it's seven to 9%. Again, I could be, it could be, well, I would be flabbergasted if that number were under 5%. I'm telling you, yeah. 
I'm going to take, I'll take you to the best dinner ever if that number is under 5%. So what do we do as a society? I think you only have two choices. You either try to, and this is what Rufo wants to do, full disclosure, Rufo's a friend oh, of mine. Oh, let's go full spectrum on this. I, I, he's a friend of mine. Yeah, I, yeah, I like I disagree it. with him on this. Um, I, I hope he's successful, but I don't think ultimately he'll be a success. We'll see, we'll see. Yeah. You have two, two choices. One is you try to reform the current institution. That is primarily, you know, who's the governor of the state in the United States? Who's the president? That would be much more difficult under a democratic administration. Yeah. Or you try to do what I'm doing, is, which is to build new things, which is like the University of Austin and there are other institutions that are trying to be rebuilt. Now, what's interesting about this is that, you know, and I asked Chris, I interviewed Chris about like, do you want me to succeed? Do you want these like the University of Austin to succeed? He said, absolutely. Yeah. But why wouldn't he want it to succeed? Like that creates competition. It creates a kind of vibrant educational marketplace where people can choose. You know, Jonathan Haidt, the sociologist from New York, uh, NYU talks about this. Do you want to go to a social justice institution or do you want to go to a truth-based institution? So if you want to go to a social justice institution, we'll see when the reality of the marketplace is. Well, that, that's the problem though, isn't it? Because they get huge amounts of government funding as well. Okay, okay, so that's the other thing. So what do we... A market wouldn't sustain this. Yeah, so that's the other thing. What do we do about if we know that these institutions are fundamentally corrupt? And that was the problem when we wrote the fake papers with the grievance studies thing. We just did it too early. Like, it just wasn't, it wasn't in people's consciousness. Like Same with Alan Sokal, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. In Sokal, yeah, in the 90s. Yeah, I mean, that's way earlier, but that... Yeah, we just had dinner with him. He lives here in London. Makes exactly the same point. Yeah, he made the same point. He published in a, a piece and if you're not familiar with the Sokol hoax you should totally yeah. totally look into it it's fascinating postmodern gibberish he put in yeah so so the question is what do we do so we have this range of options build new things ignore the problem which i don't think the only people who want to ignore the problem are the same people who want to deny the problem or the same people who occupy but the those same people positions. benefiting from the well, they're, yeah, they're, they're benefiting because they get to have their little fiefdoms. They get yeah. to discharge their moral impulses into journals that are completely corrupt. They get to indoctrinate kids in this ideology mill. The students are the ones who suffer from this. Yeah. The students are thinking that they're getting something real, but they're being lied to. Yeah. It's total BS. The whole, thing is, the whole thing is complete madness. And they come out without any actual tangible skills from these mills. Yeah, that's why. So my daughter uh, is about to, to go to college, and I told her, Go to vocational. It's, yeah. It's, not only is there no shame in vocational education, those are honorable, good money. Yeah. Make your own hours. Be a plumber, a carpenter, electrician. Can't speak in the UK and the US. Oh, no, it's exactly the same. Yeah, we, we these desperately are, these need are those. Endeavors. These are highly profitable. So if, if you're out there, you're thinking, should I go to college? Think about vocational school. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, um, <laughs> paradigms can change in the university, but things will always break. So, Correct. you know, they'll always need people to fix things um, and build things. Yeah. So do consider them. Um, but yeah, but th this, this whole thing has just been a massive eye-opener, I think, for a lot of people, right? Because, I mean, like, no one would have they thought. They trusted, right? No one thought over an academic scandal, an an sorry, an anti-Semitism scandal, yeah. there would become this giant academic corruption that's been Zarr. unraveled. And so what, what I'm interested in is actually where this goes. Because you've got someone like Chris Rufo, who's like, okay, well, I'm going to literally check as many of them as I can. And actually, with the advent of AI, that, that becomes a, a practical endeavor. Well, I'm, I'm working with someone, well, I'm advising someone who's doing that now. He's building a system to search dissertations by the tens of thousands. Yeah. And it's probably be eight months before that 
is out. So yeah. I personally am not doing that, but I want to make sure to help him to make sure that that's done right or help mm -hmm. them. They're very well financed. In eight months, we're going to see what that number is. Yeah. And that could be really could be, but I'm telling you for a fact, it is not going to be under 5%. Oh, yeah. So that even if it were 5%, which it won't be, that's one in 20. One in 20 are people, are liars and frauds and cheaters. And it's, it, there's just no benefit in a normal world to allowing those people to continue to prosper. 100%. There's no benefit. But not only was Claudine Gay allowed, she kept her position with, at $900,000 a year. And and this this is the thing. Like, okay, Claudine Gay eventually had to resign as the president of Harvard, but what about the other people who totally and unconditionally supported her? They the they problem. have to go as well. All of the people they're complicit. Stood, exactly, they're all complicit. And so, ideally, you would have them all fired. They would all have to. Go. Yeah. Uh, so, to be full full disclosure, all the cards on the table. I did not want Claudine Gay fired. No. Nope. I Why thought not? she was the president Harvard deserved. <laughs> I thought she was the, oh, yeah. Okay, perfect, yeah. the perfect embodiment. We want a cheater. We want an ideologue. We want someone who's underqualified. I couldn't possibly think of a better person to occupy that position. That is a good point. But someone who wanted to reform the institution. Which I do not, but I want to burn them down. I've of been course. very honest about that from the beginning. But if you did want it reformed, you'd want every single one of these people in this chain. to be Correct. Fair. Okay. Operating under the assumption that we, we want to reform the institution, she would have to be fired and removed from her university yeah. position. She won't be because of the, her immutable characteristics. All of the people who are complicit in this, yeah. they'd ask. All of the people who, when she was cleared in the investigation that I mentioned, that found her innocent before she even, yeah. those people need to be fired. You would need to yeah. clean house to a level they simply, and all the people, the black academic yeah. magicians that she persecuted, like Roland Fryer, mm -hmm. he would have to be, all of the, Carol Swain, all of those people would have to be reinstated to yeah. Carol Hoven. But it, it would go further, like the administrators who didn't blow whistles, you know, who aren't necessarily academics, but are the ones responsible for like the, the machinery of the thing. Maybe they are implicated as well. Because if you if you can see corruption happening in front of your eyes, you have an obligation to be a whistleblower. hundred you know? percent. So like even the non-academics who are just doing the functionary work of right. the university, sorry, you might be implicated in this as well. Yeah. And like, it would have to be a root and branch tearing right. up of them. Okay. So think just think like really sincerely think about this. The reason if this were the fire department. Or the ambulance service. Of course, this would be done. Yeah. Like, well, you would think so, but actually, in our country, it's not. Okay. Well, of course, it's probably the same in your country as well for it, diversity reasons. Okay. Well, that's the same contaminant. Right? It is that's exactly the same, same ideological contaminant. So the fact that this is not being done goes to show you, and then goes to show you not only how deep the corruption is, but the fact that it's at its root, undergirding the whole thing is the ideology, and. You and, and you know the so here's in a nutshell the reason I don't think the universities can be reformed. Mm -hmm. One, you can't have DEI and free speech. Yeah. Harvard still has massive DEI universities. All these institutions spend millions of dollars. Massive. The other thing is you have people who have jobs for life. Yeah. How on earth are you going to reform that? How do you hold them accountable? You you can't. They have jobs for life. So what are you going to do? Well, you burn the whole thing down. You don't send your kids there. You send them to vocational education. You send them to Ralston College, University of Austin. You send them to uh, Elon Musk is building mm -hmm. a new school in Austin. Who else is just talking to? Yeah, there are, there are a bunch of people yeah, who are making posts. Oh, uh, Mark Andreessen is yep. talking about building new schools now. So you have this uh, billionaire class wants to build new schools. Those will be alternatives to the existing educational infrastructure. Mm -hmm. So if you want to send your kid to a school in which not only will they, they'll kind of come out damaged in a sense because yeah. they'll believe things that are false 
you know, there's simply no evidence for these things. Like literally handicapped by a worldview that that makes them believe that they can't achieve. Yeah. Racism is the ordinary and everyday state of affairs. Um, It's ever present. Mm. That, uh, you know, equity-based thinking. Race, gender, gender, sexuality. Gender is assigned at birth. Assigned at birth. The, the whole spectrum of it is designed to make them think that there's no progress to be made within the system themselves. That's correct. And if you, that you are creating self-fulfilling prophecies, but not only that, you're depriving them of the necessary tools with which to prosper yeah. in the system that they operate. Right. So, so, it's, so the reason that's particularly insidious is that they're going to these lead institutions. They think that they're learning something. They think they're becoming more knowledgeable. They're taking things that they've learned that are clearly false. There's simply, not only is there no evidence for it, it's actually evidence against, like microaggression. Oh, yeah, yeah. Scott Lillenfeld wrote a a great piece, Microaggression, Strong Claims and Adequate Evidence. So there are, there's inadequate evidence. They're going into positions of leadership and authority as people with university degrees in general tend to do, not always, of course. And they're bringing these, these, uh, artifacts with them into the workplace. Mm. So it's a kind of a way that the ideology spreads itself throughout the society. So yeah. of course you should burn them down. And also the, there's another aspect of it, which is the they don't know anything positive. They only know things that are negative, right? So they don't have... Grievances. Yeah, exactly. They've just got grievances. Whereas a normal person will say, okay, well, to, to build a, health, a healthy human being, you have to behave in this sort of way. You have to work in this kind of, to this capacity to produce this kind of output. But actually, they don't have that. All they can say is, I'm against this. I'm against that. I'm against the other. It's like, okay, but you're not training them and, and habituating them into the ability to be actually positive and productive. Yeah. That, that's, what the, that's what the very idea of Apollo for is critical consciousness is. Yeah. You're giving them a critical consciousness so they can identify oppression and remediate that oppression. Yeah. But the problem is... You need to create an order. You that's, need to create an order. The, the whole problem. thing is illusory in the first place, yeah. and it predicates itself on things that are simply untethered to reality. But it also predicates itself on an existing order. Okay, well, let's say that everyone agrees, yeah, all the existing order is bad, and you've got to tear it down. Okay, but you've got nothing. You've got no tool set with which to create a new order for the people to go through and become better than they were to begin with. So you've you've just abolished the concept of a standard there. Because they just, from within this woke ideology, there is no standard. Right. And in practical terms, what do you get? You get Chaz. Yeah. You, well, you yeah, get, yeah. yeah. You yeah. get these. You get people in Portland yeah. with signs that have flames on them, yeah. on them saying, burn it all down. Fuck Biden. We want revenge. Yeah. yeah. From, it's, it said, uh, burn it all down from, you know, from the ashes, a world anew. But how do they build But what's the, world? the new world? You haven't they don't even one. have trash collection. Not only what will are they, they talking exactly. about? <laughs> not only will they not prosper, but some of them can't even function. As uh, Jonathan Haidt and Greg Luke exactly. point out, the, in following American mind, the 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 cognitive ability <clears throat> of these students has been decreased, and there's no mechanism for it to be increased. Yeah, so no, it's, yeah. It's the, just co- the cognitive. So I'm going to go one step further than that. Uh-huh. It's even worse than the cognitive. I bet it is. <laughs> it's and I they, thought that was bad enough. They, <laughs> <laughs> well, that was the most charitable thing yeah. you could say about it. Yeah. It's that they have removed the tools necessary for them to correct their beliefs yes so you've them trapped them in a in an ideological framework or way of thinking of the world they don't agree with discourse they don't like dialogue those are tools of oppression those are tools of the heteropatriarchy they they have this is a way that the ideology buttresses itself from criticism and it is metastasized throughout the society and it is you know i i say that it is it is a cognitive sickness it is a mass delusion and pointing that out, the, the p- people go crazy on me. But it is actually true. You you are robbing students of a way to 
of a tool set that you can give them to figure out what's not even not even what's true, but what's more likely to be false. Mm. It's even more humble of a claim than that. But even then, when when you've got to that position, we're in the first generation of this being widespread. Right, this has always been a small thing in academia, but now it's broken through. Okay, we're in the first generation. Well, what does that look like going to the next generation? Man, if there's one thing that teachers are afraid of, it's Generation Z. They're like these people. These kids are thick. They can't read. They can't calculate. They can't reason. They can't form an argument. They can't articulate why they are as they are. Okay, that's Generation Two. What does Generation Five look like? Well, you know. Well, I was just gonna say. So for that generation, what's the problem with plagiarism? Exactly. I mean, everything that you just outlined, they just have reasons for not caring about it. It's historical. I mean, sorry, we're, we're just following the tradition of Claudine Gay, the, the president of Harvard. Yeah, and the, the crazy thing is, like, every time I have almost any conversation, like, literally with anybody, and I'll articulate a position like, well, you know, people who obtain their degrees fraudulently should be fired. They'll say, like... <laughs> not controversial, I would have thought. Like, oh, you're some kind of conservative. Uh, like, what are you yeah, talking like, I guess so. What are you talking about? <laughs> like, every time, every position like that, like the whole, you know, when you were talking about everybody who is complicit in that, yeah. the thing that was running through my mind, I don't necessarily want to take us down this rabbit hole, but I was thinking about the trans thing. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not enough that the surgeon lose their license. Mm-hmm. Like, everybody who participated in that sickness has to be held accountable. Like, we have to create systems in which there's accountability. Yeah. I mean, this, this, if not, we're like a kind of, third world not even third world they don't say they call it global south now i don't know but yeah but but if not you've kind of created a not even a house of cards or a house of straw but you've you've liquidated opposite yeah and liquidated everything down yeah yeah to a sort of south african level where you've got rolling blackouts and you've got the majority of the population on welfare you've got all you've done is humiliated the entire nation and reduced everything to the bare minimum and it's just like it's atrocious why would it's not conservative to not want that correct like i would think that's just perfectly reasonable or, th- or thinking about and then we're, we're, what um, we'll get to yeah, yeah we'll get to it okay but so then it's 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 kind of like the same thing of you know when 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 i li- i moved out of portland for safety reasons but when they were destroying the city for like 300 days i kept saying yeah. like you've got to arrest these people like you this is yeah. you cannot have they're you know assaulting people they're destroying businesses and it was you're conservative Maybe. What are you talking about? Like, if that's what it takes well, to be a conservative, like, then a lot of people are conservatives. Like, it was so crazy to me. And yeah. so, just piggybacking off of that, so is somebody, the, the mayor of Portland is talking about public disgraces. He's yeah. a quintessential public disgrace. Ted Wheeler, isn't he? Yes, correct. Ted Wheeler, he, him, his. I always make sure <laughs> put, put that in there. Pronouns are very important to the man. Yep. But the city commissioner, Renee Gonzalez, is running for mayor, and his car was firebombed. This is in the United States of America. No, no. But this by is, Antifa. No, 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 no. It's not just in the United States of America. I mean, it's completely plausible that there are places in America where your car gets firebombed. This is in Portland. Yeah, right. One right. of the whitest, most affluent right. cities in the entire country. Correct. And his car was firebombed because of... His, so this is not some right-wing maniac. Yeah. Like, this is an inveterate Democrat. This is a hardcore, never voted for... Like me. Yeah. Like, he's a... De- well, I'm not an inveterate Democrat, but yeah, he's yeah. hardcore Democrat. He wasn't uh, left enough for the maniacs. But my point is, it, it's speaking back to the plagiarism thing, it's a kind of institutional capture and organizational corruption. Like the, the governor, as far as I know, the governor of Oregon didn't come out and say anything. One of you guys can fact check that. But that wasn't in the local papers. It wasn't made a big fuss or big to do. Like 
it is becoming a banana republic yeah. when people on one and it really is true it, it i would love to tell you this is not true one end of the political spectrum it's not that they're just perpetrating violence against their political enemies it's that people are afraid to make criticisms of that because they don't want to be seen on the right. Yeah. But making a criticism of political violence does not make you someone on the right. In fact, Rene Gonzalez is on the left. So that, that argument doesn't even make sense. He's just, he, I mean, okay, he's not a crazy communist, but he's, he's literally a left and he's a minority. Uh, I think it's a much longer conversation yeah. to why yeah, yeah. that person is suddenly a conservative. So, but <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it really is, right? Yeah, yeah. But, um, but honestly, thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, yeah. Cool, this, cool. this has been mad. Yeah. But, uh, but right. So let's... Those are my predictions, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I want you to hold me to those. I'm happy. I'm buying your dinner if they're under under 5%. And if they're I over 20%, believe, man... I, you, I'm not sure I agree to that. I mean, you, like, <laughs> I'm buying you dinner. Yeah, I guess. But like, okay, I'm, but if they're over 20%, your audience will take us out. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, right. Okay. Well, let's let's talk about some untrue... Un Start that again. Let's talk about some uncomfortable truths in gender ideology. Uh, Travis Brown is joining us to talk about his documentary about uh, the uncomfortable truths, the reality of gender ideology. Um, so you don't have to persuade me, but let's assume that someone has never heard of this. What kind of uncomfortable truths might we be talking about? Oh, there are so many. I've, I've used yeah, <laughs> so many. I use that title for a number of reasons. I mean, one uncomfortable truth for people caught in this ideology is the fact that you can't change sex. You just, it's not possible. It's physically, it, I mean, it's physically coded into every yeah. cell in cell, your body. Correct. Yeah. XX or XY. So, and some people believe that others don't think that they can actually change sex. Actually, Helen Joyce uh, said on, on Peter's podcast, so well, people don't actually believe that you can change sex. People do. There, oh, there are, are people yeah. who, who really believe this. They think well, technology is caught up to the point where you yeah. can do this and science is there, but it's, it's not. But they also, I've, I've seen postmodernists try to abolish the category of sex as well. Correct. Well, that's, that's one of their goals in order, because mm. ultimately they have to know at some level that this is, it's, it's real, it's immutable. We have material bodies that cannot, you can cut things off, you can put things on, but you cannot change your sex. Um, so that, that's one uncomfortable truth. But the, Really, the reason I chose that title is because there there's a reality that we're kind of butting up against, and it's it's especially when it comes to children. I mean, people are literally you know transitioning children, and I use that term to encompass the use of puberty blockers to make kids sterile. Ultimately, anything to interfere with their natural development. Exactly, hormones, yeah. surgeries, and the most interesting thing when I talk to people about this, I used to live in Portland. I literally just moved out right before we flew here. Um, I would, I would talk to people there, friends of mine, and I would tell them what's happening and they would just, they would deny it. They would say yeah. it's, it's not actually happening. And then you show them the numbers. I mean, and then they say, actually, well, it's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's bizarre. Yeah. Somehow it's, it's good to cut off little girls breasts. Yeah. Somehow that's a good thing. In what world is that a good thing? Uh, well, in, in the world where you're trying to liberate the human will from its own material confines, that's the world. Yeah, this is sort of like what we were talking about earlier with this unconstrained vision, which is laid out in Thomas Sowell's book. But this idea yeah, yeah. that you can just be whatever you want to be, you can mm. change the, the human mind and the human body to conform to mm. some ideal. But in, in I, again, I don't know what that ideal really is or entails because it's it's ultimately quite miserable. It's it's hard to know what the numbers of detransitioners are because something like seventy five percent of them don't go back to the clinic. Well, they, there's also an ideological investment in 
covering that up. That's that's true. Yeah, but the <laughs> and the, the, the the gender ideologues aren't keeping a good record of that. Cor- correct. Yeah, the, the activists will usually say, "Oh, it's it's it rarely ever happens. It's one or two yeah, percent." Exactly. But it, from the numbers that we do have, it's closer to thirty percent, which is pretty significant. Uh, and so these people, I've just as a quick them. aside there yeah, as well, um, I've seen uh, <clears throat> studies that suggest that it's between eighty and ninety percent of people who thought they were trans upon reaching puberty end up realizing they're not trans. So, yes, that's uh, so that's correct. that's a huge percentage who are kind of brought into the um, social contagion of it. Correct, and then yeah. out out of that, thirty percent are detransitioners as well. And so. even even some of them are not necessarily even caught up in the social contagion. They in the sense that they learned it from TikTok or whatever. Yeah. But it's just they're they might be gay. They might be uncomfortable with yeah. their body. They might be more effeminate males or whatever. And yeah, the the study I think it was um, I'm blanking on his name. He's in Canada. It was I think it was the 88 percent of of boys desisted once once they've gone through puberty. Yeah. So that makes me wonder, you know. That other seventeen percent, or you know, that other 10, 10 to twelve percent, could they also desist if given the right treatment? Yeah. And after talking to, interviewing many therapists and psychiatrists, I think that's that's very likely the case. So, in my view, that's one thing I've learned when making this documentary uh, is that the the category of trans just doesn't really make sense. I mean, mm. people who have you know, let's say, severe anxiety or BPD or some other kind of psychological problem we don't put them into a new category of person yeah. and this is a psychological problem and so it just seems to me to make perfect sense that it's it's very likely that everyone could absolve their gender distress through some appropriate means sometimes it's physical health sometimes it's mental health you know i what i find fascinating about this is if a boy goes to uh, a clinic and says oh i feel like a girl they'll say okay well we need to give you um estrogen to make you more feminine Right. It's like, well, no, a sensible world would say, okay, maybe you've got low testosterone and maybe you actually need a bit more testosterone to make you feel more masculine, which is in line with what you naturally are. And the fact that they don't do that implies that there's an ideological reason. Correct. And right. then you think, okay, well, how do these people form their constituency from which they draw their power base? Mm. And you realize they, I interrupt and say they do it thing? through recruiting. Yeah. Before, before the constituency, the question is why? Uh, why? 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 Why do they have that belief? And my argument to you would be that they get that from the crazies in academia. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And then, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it comes exclusively from the sort of woke ideological perspective. Correct. That they get in academia and then we can, then the constituency. But but the, yeah, you are right. It's, there's a, there's a, there's a a belief that is enacted into the will. And then I think, I genuinely think that these people who are acting against the uh, better self-interest of the kids, they are, essentially recruiting for a constituency. They're like, okay, well, I've got to bring them in as quickly as possible in order to get them in the pipeline so they will go out and advocate and bring in more and so we can expand the dominion of what we have here. Yeah, the problem The problem is that it's, it's multifaceted. There are so many reasons why the, the trans identification has taken off. You know, part of it is is the social contagion aspect, which there's data for, and it's easy easy to understand, especially young girls are, are more susceptible to that. Um, but the numbers have increased for young boys and girls who identify as trans now, not just girls. Um, but I think in the UK, it's like four thousand percent increase. It's insane. Yeah. But there's so many factors. So there's there's just uh, uh, the factor of of wanting to make more money. So you have actually new new surgeries. There was a I interviewed a detransitioner uh, who's become a friend of mine, and she got a non-binary top surgery. 
which is slightly different than a regular double. Well, well what, what's the difference? Uh, I could be getting this wrong because it was a while ago that I interviewed her almost almost a year ago, but it was something like they left a little bit more flesh or something because they want it to be a little bit more androgynous, I believe, and they shape the nipples in a slightly different way. This is this is a real surgery. And there are now surgeries for eunuchs because that's a legitimate category. Of a lot of people are going to have eunuchs. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Same. Uh, so so the, so maybe yeah. maybe I'll flesh out a potential point of disagreement we have on this. Sure, sure, sure. So my take on this is you can do anything you want when you're 18. If you're 18 and, and, and you want it, best of luck to you. I don't think the state should pay for it, but sure. you, you should have sovereignty and dominion over your own body. That is not the issue for me. The issue for me is this is being done to children. And I do not believe that children can consent to such procedures. To be honest with you, I think that at 18 years old, if I look back at my 18-year-old self now and I'd made decisions like that, I'm 44, I'd be very annoyed I was allowed to do it. Mm. Uh, Correct. Because at 18 years old, I mean, I'm, I was you still think a moron. 21? Uh, no, I think even in my 30s, I was a moron. Um, and I think that when I'm in my 60s, I'll look back at myself now and go, wow, you were a moron. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that life's a constant uh, process of learning and actually these sort of... Uh, Decisions that can't be undone. Correct. Maybe yeah. thought about a little bit more. We, we interviewed somebody who had their, who's that guy? Miranda Yardley. Yeah, who had his penis and testicles cut off, self-identified as a gay man. And I asked him if he regretted that decision. And he said, it's complicated, right, Travis? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we had a, a disagreement on that that we filmed using our spectrum street epistemology where yeah. I thought the age should be 25 when the brain is fully formed. Yeah. Even then, the, the transitioner that I interviewed, she was 30 yeah. and she, she tra transitioned three years later. So yeah. the, the problem I have with it, aside from they're not adults, you know, what, what's happening to kids is that even as adults, you can be indoctrinated into a cult-like yeah, yeah. ideology yeah, exactly. and horrible things to yourself and other people. Yeah. And, and the other tricky part is that Yes, you do have dominion over your own body, and I'm not an authoritarian. I don't want to restrict what people can do. However, it also does affect other people because men will enter into women's spaces, for yeah. instance. Um, you know, there's a number of of knock-on effects that come from yeah. this self-identification. And sometimes, again, as we were talking earlier, they don't even have the surgeries. They don't do anything. They just say, you know. Well, that, the, yeah, that's an entirely separate problem as yeah. well. Okay, you're opening the door to a bunch of grifters, essentially, who just want access to vulnerable people. Correct. Which is obviously not something you want either. But assuming we're, we're talking only about the people who have a sincere belief on this, um, I would be more inclined to believe it's a kind of mental illness. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how else you would describe it. You know, I've, I've also talked to people who, who identify as trans who are happy, you know, with, yeah, yeah. with their surgeries. Buck yeah. Angels, I feature in, in my series. But he didn't and, have, Buck didn't have surgery. Uh, double mastectomy. Yeah. Oh, I'm bottom surgery. Bottom surgery. No. Okay. Correct. Yeah. And you know, I, I I really enjoyed my conversation with Buck. Buck and I disagree about certain things, but um, you know that and that brings up another interesting thing. So this whole, I've been covering woke topics for a long time. I have another series that's eleven episodes long, and I was just going to do another episode on the gender topic, but it turned into such a complex thing. So I decided to make another series on it. Um, but where I was going with that is, it's been such a depressing, just heart wrenching topic. And then what I've come up against recently is that what's even more depressing is you go to people who like the gender critical feminists, for instance, who you'd think would ostensibly be on your side, mm. but they will nitpick every single little thing you say. For instance, if I call Buck a he, if I use he, him pronouns oh. for, because Buck is biologically female. And I get it, it's like 
it's I don't want to say the sentence he acknowledges that he is a biological female because that's just weird. It's linguistically yeah. strange. Yeah. However, I do, I just don't give a shit what people what pronouns people use right. as long as it's as long as we're not obfuscating reality or mm-hmm. causing problems. But these some of these feminists, some of these gender critical people are are just as cultish and just as annoying and are derailing our progress almost as bad, <laughs> frankly, as some of these trans activists. And it's really depressing because you have people like. Stella O'Malley, who founded Genspect, who I've interviewed for the series, and she does a lot of amazing work, helps detransitioners, you know, helps families, helps parents. Mm-hmm. And she just gets vilified because she said the wrong thing in a documentary when she had no idea about what, for instance, AGP yeah. is or, you know, and so it's just it's really frustrating when you don't you can't even have a cohesive pushback against this because yeah. people are just derailing it for their own ends and means. I think one of the problem that the, uh, I guess the gender critical feminists yeah. have is that this is a sort of successor ideology yeah, yeah. to their Especially original position. Term, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's, they it's, don't know it. They, they wouldn't admit that though. They don't like to admit it, no. but <laughs> anyone who knows about the ideological genealogy of these yeah. things, uh, knows that this comes from essentially Judith Butler and yeah. you know, this yeah. is a tradition that they've been following in for quite some time now. So, right. Right. so I'm, I'm curious. So when you've done, the documentary and you've interviewed these people this is heavy man i mean this is like it is yeah yeah so i, I spent all summer in front of my computer editing and i would just you know, i would literally just break down and cry which i don't generally yeah. do but i you know i'm having to research all of this look at footage look at just these horrific images and read about these horrible stories this is so let <clears throat> with this bit's not going on youtube by the way um let's talk about some of the grotesque things that you've seen then because oh, ev- I think oh every- everyone's seen everyone's seen the the photos of yes. the, the skin, skin yeah. and it, it is yeah. just harrowing. Yeah, I saw one the other day on Twitter that was I think it was missing skin from the leg right. with the with the faux penis, and it, yeah. it was just so yeah, disturbing. And, you, and you've just, see, have you you actually seen those faux? Penis? Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, this is not penis, and there's no yeah. feel. It's no sensitivity yeah, yeah, yeah. in it. Yeah, it's not what, connected to the nervous system, yeah. you know. What blew my mind, I, I interviewed uh, Michael Biggs, this brilliant sociologist who completely demolished the Dutch study or the Dutch protocol, which is basically the only somewhat rigorous, somewhat rigorous study that has been done to sort of prove mm. that we should trans children. It's completely fallacious. The whole study is, is yeah. nonsense. Uh, there, there's a lot of problems with it. But in interviewing him, I asked him to describe in detail some of these surgeries and you know what happens for, yeah. for these kids. And at one point, he, he mentioned how... Um, how their their plan is kind of backfiring because you know they want kids to take puberty blockers so they can pass as the opposite sex more more easily which is true they can but when boys do that their testicles and their their penis doesn't fully develop so they can't get the surgery so yeah but if but some of them do go on to get the surgery and that was the part that blew my mind he said that they will take parts of their intestine or like part of a fish or something i could be wrong yeah no no i've heard of them yeah yeah scales to to line the neo vagina yeah it's just it was the colon, sorry. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, yeah. No, it's no, it's to line. Oh, part of the colon, yeah, to, to line the neo vagina because yeah. their penis wasn't big enough to invert it. It's just it, is is the reason this isn't going to go on YouTube because it would get censored. Doubtless, yeah. Okay, but isn't this part of the problem? Uh one hundred percent, But like you know, I mean, the fact that they're censoring this yeah. means they're complicit. Yeah. So we need to go after them too at some point. But unfortunately, like, all of the power people who are complicit yeah. in this need to. Be pun- I mean, there has to be some kind of accountability yeah, yeah. because what he just said about that, people need to know about. That. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. and like this, this is why honestly, Twitter is the best place. Yeah, I know. I agree. Just because you can post all of this stuff and it yeah. just doesn't censored. Right. And right. 
So I mean, like I've seen some of the most horrific things on Twitter. Yeah, I, when it comes yeah. to this, you know. Yeah, so yeah. what do you? So so like, so, you know. So Travis and I, I, I we were drowning our sorrows one, one night, yeah. and and I was asking him like, you know, because he was kind of bummed from seeing all this stuff too, and I said to him, you know, normally if someone said to me, "Hey man, this really bums me out," I would say, "Don't do it." But I said, Travis, like, you've got to do this, man. Like, you, you have to do this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was kind of a depressing realization. Um, you know, I, I don't have to do it. There are other people who, who, who can do it. However, what's interesting is that, you know, I don't, I don't have a child who thinks that they're the opposite sex. I don't have a good friend who got caught up in this. I mean, now I do because I've met those people, yeah. um, but I didn't have any kind of dog in the fight initially. Yeah. However, what interests me in this sort of thing is the kind of blind dogmatism that comes along with ideological thinking and the kind of cult-like behavior that that goes with it, um, and so I feel compelled to to tell those stories because I think it's people need to know about this stuff, yeah. and hopefully, you know, through through the the series, people will. I'm I'm especially interested in how parents deal with this and and how how it affects kids. So I'm, well, I'm I'm a parent and I'm terrified of this. Yeah, you should be. Yeah, keep them out of public school. Um, well, it's, it's off of TikTok easy, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't yeah. let me social media. That's, That's good. Yeah, TikTok in particular. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. It's, it's 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 just so crazy that there are so many parents who, and I, I have to say, I've noticed the pattern. It's often liberal white women in America. Yeah. Who are oh, I am my child's trans, and they derive some source of pleasure from they celebrate this. Celebrate it. Yeah. Exactly, and it that that's what genuinely scares me. Even even Buck Angel, when I was interviewing Buck, Buck is very much against you know yeah. doing any kind of medical procedures for children, and was saying you know it really creeps me out that all these parents are celebrating their their child's disorder. Yeah. And even Buck calls it a, a disorder. It is, yeah. So, uh, and I mean, that's how they get approbation. But my daughter's friend was telling me that in her school, kids pretend to be trans to fit in. Oh, totally right. And I I just was yeah. just so taken aback by this a couple of years ago. She told me that. What's interesting, I haven't heard too many people talk about this, but I think it's abundantly clear. I mean, I don't have data on this, but it just makes so much sense, which is that after George Floyd and the coronavirus, everyone was locked down and they started you know, rioting and all this stuff. And then this ideology that you guys have been talking about was just exploded everywhere, right? And so all these white people, all these heterosexual men are starting to feel guilty about their supposed privilege and it's pushed on to everyone. They're all, you know, you're an oppressor if you fit into this category. Right. How do you get out of that category? Here comes gender ideology. It's very easy to become LGBT if B right. requires you to do nothing, actually. Or queer, especially. Or queer, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, being bisexual, well, I, I married a woman, but I'm bisexual. Right. But okay, no, what you can do? Make me suck a dick. You know, you're not gonna, you're not gonna <laughs> demand <it>. proof, right? <laughs> and so suddenly the LGBT category expands. And oh, look, a third of people now are LGBT. It's like, yeah, yeah are they though? Right. Yeah, you know, right. are they? Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's one of the things they say is that you know now that in greater numbers kids are identifying this way, and so yeah. people will say, well, it's just because there's more acceptance. Mm. Well, it's not a very okay. good argument. Yeah, if that were the case, though then they wouldn't be cohorts. Then you'd see it yeah. across the- You'd see it adults, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But you don't see that, so therefore, but it's it's really interesting when you've, it's like any ideology. Like if you've decided that something is true beforehand, there's no evidence that someone can show you. It'd be like, so when you say like, well, what about old people that turn to Well, the, and then, so then they have to do mental gymnastics. To yeah, they have the, to be like, they've got a false consciousness. Yeah, 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 yeah. Some yeah, yeah. unfalsifiable yeah, yeah. position that they yeah. have to have arrived in. Right. Um, right. So yeah, so- how many people did you interview for this? Uh, I think it was about 20. Um, yeah, I think I interviewed a dozen or so for my previous series. And then for this one, I, 
I was lucky enough to go to a conference in Killarney, Ireland, put on by Genspect um, called The Bigger Picture. So anywhere that WPATH shows up, and people should know WPATH is it's the world professional, uh, it's, I think, what is it, authority for transgender health? Authority might not, might not be the right word, but basically they're just a bunch of activists and they put out all these guidelines, these standards of care for all these doctors to follow, which by the way, they're pretty much all based on the Dutch study, which is fallacious. Right. But uh, so anywhere they do a conference, Genspect will show up and do a counter conference which I think is great. And then it gets people talking across this, this divide. Uh, but I was able to go to that and interview most people there. So it was in Ireland and then in London. Um, so I interviewed Helen Joyce, Buck Angel, like I mentioned, Helen was amazing. Um, we actually had her on Peter's show not too long ago. Yeah, we, Connor's interviewed her for us. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The next one is in Lisbon. Right. Lisbon. Yep. Next year. Yep. Um, so when you, when you do this, so one of the things that we, uh, we spoke of a little bit is, You've invited people on who disagree with this and, and what's happened there. Well, so in this case, I actually had a, a Zoom call with somebody in Portland who sort of rides the fence, thinks that some people are truly trans, some kids are truly trans, and therefore this will help a certain number of them to get these surgeries and cut off their body parts, which is an insane thing to say, but it's it, true. It's <laughs> genuine matter. Yeah. I want yeah. to help children mutilate their bodies. Yeah. Exactly. I, and I'm the good guy. So. Yeah. Right. Right, and sterilize them. And yeah, you're the yeah. transphobe if you disagree with me. Oh, right. you, you, I agree. I am. I am. You're the bigot. You've got me there. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> but I'm not the one castrating children. So, yeah. no, you true. know, I'm not going to take the moral judgment. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, but but she at least feigned some interest in being interviewed. Right. But, and then I asked her, look, look if you know anyone else as well, I would ha be happy to inter interview them, give them a fair shake. Um, but then she just didn't get back to me. No one, no one ever wants to do these interviews. Who, who doesn't, you know, already agree with? The Imagine that. Okay, so um, where can people find your documentary? So it's uh, you, it's exclusively on locals for, for the moment. I have the first episode up there. Uh, it's travisbrown.locals.com. I'm also looking for some better distribution because I'd like it to get out into a, a, to a wider audience. And I have some some of the clips and stuff on YouTube. And the woke reformation. Oh, yes, yeah, so that was my previous series, which is all available on YouTube. Okay. So can I, I just want to quickly comment on that. So one of the reasons I think it's so interesting is that uh, Travis, it, I don't want to put words in your mouth, you, you, come, you basically were raised in a Christian cult-like environment. Correct. And, you know, we've known each other for a long time, and he came up to me, and we were talking one night. Remember when your back was bad and yeah. you couldn't stand in the bar? And uh, he said that, the this is years ago the parallels between his experience and this wokeism thing are just so stark and that's when he did the woke reformation you had douglas murray in there right you had a lot of i on her cle yeah i was in there neil ferguson was in there make Ramaswamy. yeah 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 okay um and so for the third thing i thought we'd talk about is something uh mildly uncontroversial uh which is like uh gay surrogacy okay. which is uh something that people are talking about a lot so i think that we should begin um, by just explaining what it is. And so, as I understand it, this is where a gay couple um, pays a woman to be fertilized with one of their correct uh, genetic data, <laughs> and the woman then carries the baby to term, and then she gives birth to it, and the gay couple take it, and this results in lots of photos on the internet of men as if they've just given birth with their baby. And lots of people find this rather offensive. Um, 
Can I just say instead yeah. of going with convicted pedophile? Well, well this, this this we'll get to. Okay, because let's ha- let's start with like a neutral thing. Well, first. that's the thing. The, the, this is just like the excesses. Okay, okay, okay. Let's begin with the normal stuff. Okay, okay. So, what what are your feelings on this? So the Pope came out and issued a statement against this. This is kind of a hot button issue right now. I wouldn't be surprised, basically, if this factored somewhat of, of a minor role in the presidential election with the Republicans falling on one side. Which you can oh, it's that. doubtless going to have. Um, yeah, I think a, so too. That, that's why I think this is important to talk about. Yeah, and so I'm glad we are. So m- my feelings are like, and I I say this as an atheist, like I don't believe in the concept of the sacred, mm-hmm. and I don't think you do. I think things are sacred. Okay, so then um, maybe that's. But for for different reasons. Um, but anyway, sorry. Okay, so so it, to me the if you don't impose a category of sacred on something, it just makes it easier to think through my feeling. And I've, I've not really heard a good argument to the contrary. Mm -hmm. My feeling is that I have no problem. My kind of my gut, my moral instinct tells me I have no problem with this. And my rational mind tells me I have no problem with it, but I'm wondering to the extent, because I have my son's gay and my daughter's gay. I wonder if that has influencing my thinking. I don't know, but I haven't heard a substantive, disagreement to this uh so basically i don't i don't see what the who well, i don't see why everybody thinks that this is all of a sudden such a big problem right any thoughts uh i'm i guess i i haven't really i don't know enough about it to really have an, an informed opinion as to whether or not it's really a moral the moral quandary that it's made out to be i think it might be i'm, I'm willing to be persuaded i think the so i i am also um this isn't a, an issue for me yeah. Like I, you know, I'm not raising a surrogate or anything like that, you know. Um, so it's the, this isn't the issue that I particularly care about. Yeah. But I see a lot of people debating it, and I, I yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I see that there's not good understanding on yeah. both sides, and I think the issue is comes kind of from the trans issue, um, because in the trans issue, if we assume okay, no, there is a proper way that a boy or a girl should grow up. And actually interfering with that is tantamount to some sort of moral crime. And I agree that that is the case. You know, we should allow them to develop naturally and not try to interfere with that. Well, the same argument also applies for, for gay surrogacy, uh, as in the child is born to a mother and that, should, that child should naturally be allowed to develop with that mother. And actually interrupting that bond does something similar to the child, but interfering with them with the transgender. Okay. It's something artificial that even if it were to show that it was beneficial in some way, uh, uh, it's still not natural. And you still, and so, and what that means is you've deprived them of something you can't quantify. So the relationship that you have with your mum or your dad, assuming they're not horrifically abusive people, just the, you know, the, the average right, relationship, right. there's, there is something a bit sacred about it actually. And, and it is something that we really should be very careful have very good justification to interrupt and this if a person who doesn't have that i think is deprived of something that they can't easily quantify and so it's a sense of uh, belonging a sense of purpose a sense of self a kind of identity something that can't just artificially be created somewhere else and i think that the main issue that people on the right have with gay surrogacy is that they feel that that's being interrupted and the artificialness of the new relationship is almost kind of a vanity project for the, the gay adoption couple rather than what's in the best interest of the child. 
Because I think that we we would probably agree that the best interest of any child is to be raised by their mother and their father. But that's that's probably going to be just spiritually, if nothing else, the best. But I'll, I'll, I'll bracket that for a minute. Yeah, I'll bracket that. And then that. that's yeah. I'm I'm just trying to lay yeah, out yeah. their position. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In a in a fair way, I think. Go ahead. Well, it just occurred to me that the argument you were making almost maps onto the argument for the decline of religion because I, yeah, I don't think any of us are religious. But as I've grown older, I've seen the benefit of religion, and you do lose something when you lose religion. That's why we have all these insane new yeah. cultish religions pop up. So I think it's a really difficult problem. I don't think it's as analogous to the trans thing because it, it, it is not as obvious that it's not as obvious to me. You're saying this is something more intangible. So it's very clear if you cut off a child's penis that I mean, it's, it's just clearly problematic and well, going to cause a problem. Let, well, let me stop you there because yeah. the, the problem is when you kind of instrumentalize it like that, it's like, well, if it can be shown not to be a problem, then there's no moral issue with it. Um, That's not exactly what I'm saying. I'm just saying it's not as obvious. Sure. But, but if it could be shown, well, actually, no, it is beneficial. We've got the data. Then it's still, then it becomes okay to do it. Whereas, it I, actually is kind of deontologically the wrong thing for you to do, that's, even if that was the case. That's such a, that is a truly fascinating argument. Yeah. That is a fascinating There's argument. an intrinsic wrong to that. Yeah, no, so so this is why uh, you could never make that comment in the university. Like, it, oh, you, you would bet. be out. You'd be out. I, you, you would just, that would be it. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I don't think, the, I don't think this cycle like would on YouTube board. either. Um, yeah, yeah. What's well, that's the other thing. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about that because yeah. that's so interesting. Because what you just said, I think, transcends this issue. So, and I want to make sure I capture this sure. correctly. So, tra Travis said cutting off a penis is more conspicuous, and you said, let's say that you looked at data and it said ultimately it was a good thing. Then you can't say that it was immoral. Is that correct? That would be Roughly. the position that this comes to. Okay. So we got a few things going on there. I find this just mind-blowingly interesting. The first is, while I personally can't imagine what that data could possibly, yeah, I don't know, I, I, I could yeah. not fathom. But, but let's let's just, imagine that right, it exactly. Turns up and actually, we can't deny it. It was right. all this done is a thought experiment. Yeah. We, we wave a magic wand, and it's like, holy smokes, holy! I was so totally wrong about. That. Yeah, yeah, okay. and I'm like, wow, I, we didn't see that coming. So then, if that's the case, then we can make the argument that that we can judge what's moral by its consequences or its benefits. Yeah. Okay. So if that's the case, then all we would need to do is look at the data on the outcomes of kids yeah. who have surrogate parents and we can judge the morality of it in the same way that we could with gay marriage or anything else. But this is the problem with utilitarianism because when you have data, data is an abstract collection of things. Right. And when you abstract anything away, you are subtracting information on purpose and in this further information are a lot of things that we can't quantify, but are real and actually do have psychological impacts on people. Right. So for example, the relationship I have with my mother and father, I cherish it. Obviously my parents are great. My parents, I'm so lucky to have such great parents. And I would, I would loathe to think of a world where I wasn't raised by them. Right. And so, but I mean, you know, this is not, in the realm of data, right? But there, there is an intrinsic moral good in that relationship, and the problem with gay surrogacy is you deny that. To okay, someone. so the two things that you said that I wanted to pick up on was 
where even if they might turn a you know millionaires and they might be yeah yeah for sure for sure there's still something spiritual that's been you said two yeah. things that that i i want i need to disambiguate sure. you said proper and natural yes so w- one what do you mean by natural and two not everything that's natural is good like poison that's ivy true. is natural and that's not good like that's we don't want to rub true. that on our face so like what what like isn't that a kind of naturalistic fallacy well the the problem is the the way you approach it there so well just because something's natural doesn't mean it's good but that gets converted into natural things are not good and that's not true either some things that are natural are good and we can demonstrate the goodness of them for example the relationship between a mother and the baby and we we demonstrate good we demonstrate that goodness by outcome we demonstrate it by the i i think and this is controversial but i think basically the enlightenment framing of morality is just completely wrong moral content is found in almost every action that we take it's not just in outcome it's not just in virtue it's not just deontological so the the the, all of these things are moral considerations i mean no one no one would look at um uh, a a man who's trying to destroy the world but accidentally created a really profitable form of energy that was free and abundant go oh what a good guy you'd be like (laughs) no i was trying to kill you all right right you know so the, the the consequent is not the sole locus of morality Okay, and so and and it's you know if you, if you do something in the wrong way, but you accidentally end up with the wrong with the correct outcome, well then you're still not a good guy. You you fucked it up. You just got lucky, you know. Okay, and yeah, so I think it, that's right. I think that's right. So yeah, so the entire the entire framework we use to kind of understand morality actually is kind of deformed because okay. it comes from this idea that morality can be located in one section, and that's not true. And it's only when all of these sections line up so we can say yeah, this these things are all good that the, that a thing is genuinely good in and of itself. There, there are definitely times and places where these things collapse. Like, like say, you know, oh, you say it's natural. Sure, that's one pillar of morality, and there are yeah. definitely natural things that are bad. But we can also look at the others, as in, you know, the mother holding her baby. That's a good thing, you know, and the the wholesome life that the child has as a consequence of the good upbringing. Well, that's a good too, you know. Whereas it can fall down on any of these pillars, but if it doesn't, then I think we can say this is a good. Yeah, I guess I'm confused as to why that wouldn't just be factored in as more data if you expand what data means, not just necessarily a sure. particular metric that's super easy to measure, but your well-being, as you mentioned, you know, growing up with your parents. Yeah. It does seem like a, a data point maybe is it feels cold and removed to call it that, but it does seem like... Well, that, that's kind of the problem because a lot of these things might not be measurable. Um, sure. The the way that you feel that you belong to somewhere. Mm-hmm. You know, cause, I mean, do you, did you grow up in Portland? I'm, I'm Thankfully still, not. I'm, yeah. Well, yeah, I don't. Know, Peter, did you, did you, no, no, no. Right, but but there there are definitely, and maybe it's because England's a an, an older and more settled country, right? So people in the United States they move a lot, and it's nothing to people in the United States. It's like something like eleven times in their lives. No, people way more than that. Yeah, yeah, but, but on average, people in America yeah. eleven times. Whereas people in Britain, my God, man, they they discovered a body in Cheddar Gorge. It was like six thousand BC, right? So they genetically tested the area around. And his descendant lives three miles away from where that body was found. Wow. This guy was linearly descended wow. from guy, a guy 6,000 years ago. And so oh. you can imagine what that guy's feeling of belonging yeah. to the area around Cheddar Gorges, yeah. right? He's like, no, no, I, I just... This and you is, just can't quantify that. Exactly. This is a spiritual yeah. experience. For me, okay. You know? So this, oh, this oh, is why okay. I'm reluctant to use the term data because... I'm sure. trying. I'm trying to think in a very human paradigm, human-centered paradigm, whereas a data-centered paradigm is outside of the human. It's a universal paradigm. Yeah, but you know that as an individual, you might be more depressed and therefore might need to do something to alleviate that depression. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Of, yeah. So, yeah. and I'm I'm not saying that these things can't happen or, any, or don't exist or anything like that. But what I, what I'm saying is, if we take a more sort of human 
focused yeah. and sort of sentimental view of the thing, there's still moral content in there. In fact, there's moral yeah, yeah, content sure. in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not captured by the universal scientific view and the data collective view of, of reality. Yeah. And so that we're losing something in the human experience when we don't consider this option. Yeah, I have a little, That's what I think. The, I, I have a voice in the back of my head saying, don't say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. So, so the, <laughs> the problem, because it's, so the, the problem with that is, you know, like your sense of belonging, mm -hmm. you just have to change the scale. So you just have to go up to like hundreds of millions. Like you have to give it some kind of way to make it intelligible to an external observer. Like, so like going back to what Travis said about, lopping off the penis and you know the the, the, the alleged putative benefits of yeah. that i'm trying to think so when when you make a moral decision lots of things are going on there yeah. right P part of that is i had a conversation with david deutsch and i the oxford physicist and one of the things i mentioned in that conversation is that there are people in africa now this has been going on for quite some time who are HIV positive and have sex with infants because they believe that it's yep, right. You've heard about this, that. Yep. Okay. So in that sense, you can make a kind of pre-moral judgment because the actions empirically, that's just false. You can, but does that really address the real issue? No, it doesn't address yeah. the real issue, but it goes to show that, well, among other things that the kind of the data, like in the same way that you said about the penis, which I find it so fascinating is that, if someone chopped off their penis and somehow it could be shown, not only was it in society's best interest, but it was directly in their best interest. What is the relationship between between that and morality? If it has some, if it was an intrinsic good to them, like if that helped them lead a good life, then wouldn't that be a, but, the moral? If it helps you lead a good life, that's a moral decision. But this, but this is my problem with utilitarian morality. Is in the, the the greatest good for the greatest number dictates what is right and wrong. In that, yeah, then, right. Then you you end up having to find yourself say, well, I mean, horrifically, the act itself, the virtue yeah. of it is actually a massive vice. But if it turns out with an overall, and it can literally right. be like 51, 49%, right. then this was a morally good thing. And, and I think that's the wrong standard to judge almost anything. I, I, I agree. I, I agree M mostly. It seems to me that you you would need some kind of utilitarian thinking in your calculus, like if you drew a deontological well, there, egoist, like it would have to be somewhere in that little triangle. Well, well like I was saying, uh, I, I view it as more of a process, and everyone makes moral calculations at every point of the steps. Right. So if you if you had uh, a hero who's like, oh, I, I just want to save the city, and he ends up blowing parts of it up, and it's like, okay, look, we know you meant well, right. and then he's like, yeah, okay, but this time I got it, and he blows up another part. And then third time blows up another part. And he's like, right, I'll do it this time. I was like, no, no, this is your own vanity now. Right, right, right. This is not about what you actually can accomplish. So in, in every single part, there are this moral calculations as to what has already contextually happened. So it, it's, it's not that there isn't a place for a consequentialist analysis. It's that all morality encompasses all of that. Okay, so let's say you switch to, and if you don't want to accept this, no, that's no, fine no. too. Let's say that you switch to a deontological framework and say it's like the right thing to do is to chop off your penis. Yeah. And again, I'm just like, <laughs> people are going to be. I can't imagine what this. that is. But we are facing the. the, the, the this the, is. Yeah. We live in crazy times, yeah. and so here we are having yeah. this conversation yeah. in a sane world. We would never have this conversation. So, if it, it, you would say that that's the right thing to do because you you had some kind of data or evidence to, you wouldn't say it's the right thing to do because of consequences. You'd say it's the right thing to do because it's the right thing to do. Yeah, a priori in and of itself. C correct. That's correct. The right thing. That's to right. Do. Uh, and they do say that. This is the claim they make. They right. say, well, look, if a person is born in the wrong body and they 
if they would feel as if they are not themselves, yeah. then you are oppressing them. You are stifling yeah. their will. Yeah. You need to liberate them from the physical constraints that they have been cursed with, essentially. And so it becomes a priori an intrinsic moral good in yeah. itself. And there are things like that. Yeah. Like, and like the relationship between a mother and the baby. So let's go back to that. That's, that's important. That's yeah. an a priori intrinsic good in and of itself. And I think that's what the people who are objecting to gay surrogacy are really... And, and I'm not sure, I, I, they can't articulate it like this. Yeah, yeah. Most of them are just looking at this in, in natural sort of, like, Ugh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah. wrong. But they don't know why. But I think that's what they're appealing to. And, and like I said, I'm not saying that I'm the one saying this. Yeah, yeah, for sure. what I've noticed right, in right, the conversation. For sure. So, did you want to say something wrong? No, go on. Okay, so, okay. So, I'm, I do question the idea of, I don't, I, 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 I think you're right in that there is something natural in that bond. And it's almost natural by the definition of what natural yeah, means. Yeah. I mean, it's literally nature. It, yeah. co correct. Ah, correct. Right. Um, I'm not sure embedded in that it's good. And I'm not sure, and I, I realize this is going to sound like a crazy argument, but I'm not sure that the same good couldn't be yielded by two, this is assuming all sets of parents are loving and decent human beings, that the same kind of good couldn't be yielded by two uh, two gay men. I'm not sure. Like right. you've so, seen the pictures of the baby on the yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So the so the the issue the issue here is that's predicated on the idea that actually these things are interchangeable, right? That they the, the, you 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 could conceivably get the same good out of something that is different. What if you get a different type of good out of it? You may well, and okay. it's entirely possible you okay. get a different type of good. But the thing is, you've deprived a baby of this other unique good. That is particular. And, okay. and when we say unique, we're not even talking category now. We're talking about the individual bond between this mother and that child is different to the bond between that mother and that child. Although we still recognize them as something similar, but the content of it, the, the spiritual, sentimental, moral content of it is different. And so this is the uniqueness of a human experience that we are interrupting when we engage ourselves in that. And we say, well, you'll get something similar with these people over here and maybe you will and i'm not it, it could be better right and i'm not saying it can't be but there is definitely something that we have interrupted we have disrespected there and that i think actually there's a level of hubris in that saying no we know better than the iterative generational learning of the entire human race for all time there's a, there's a profound arrogance to interrupt that and say no it's fine and uh, just because these two guys want a baby it's like well there are other ways to get babies and it would just require a change in their lifestyles basically. Uh, and you know, that that's fine. If it's, you know, the, there's the other aspect. Okay. Consenting adults. Fair enough. The baby doesn't get to choose this mm. and it will never get to choose this. And so you're imposing this for the vanity of another couple on this thing. And so, and like I said, I'm not like, I said, I'm not committed to saying no, never or anything like that. But th this is, I think the sort of metaphysics that underpin it that aren't being properly spoken about. Yeah, well, I'm, you said vanity. I'm just curious. I mean, is it always vanity? I mean, I, I know your son wants to be a father. Yeah. So I don't know that it's always vanity unless you're saying they should adopt well, instead. Well, it, 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 it's, I mean, say, well, you know, the, your, your son wants to be a father. Totally normal and respectable thing. Yeah. Um, but the locus there is on the importance on your son, right? It's not on the importance of the, the baby themselves. I don't have to talk to him, but yeah. But it, like conceptually, it kind of has to be because 
when I say, or when you say, yeah. you know, I want to be a father, you have a lineal descent there. And so it is a necessary connection between you and your child. Whereas actually, if it's not, and it's, you know, for at least one of the men in the surrogate yeah. relationship, this is, I don't want to say arbitrary. But yeah, you know, yeah, it yeah, is yeah, arbitrary. Yeah, yeah. And so really that actually is an interchangeable position. Whereas my sons are destined, it's written in the stars. Yeah. And my sons will be my sons. At the very beginning of time in the Big Bang, yeah. we knew that, you know, that if there's a God, he can trace the, the, the movement of atoms until eventually my son, I'm holding him after my wife's given birth. That was necessary. That's, that's an eternal thing. And he always was destined to be my son. And he will never be anyone else's son. Yeah. Okay. It's interesting. Those are really interesting arguments. I don't know if they compel me. But I find them. <laughs> I, I'm, just, I'm, I'm just saying this is what I think these people feel if they don't properly articulate it. Yeah, and so I th- correct me if I'm wrong. My understanding of that is it comes down to there's something natural, like subspecies eternitatis, under the watchful eye of eternity between the bonds and the relationship between a mother and a child. Mm-hmm. And I think, for honesty in the conversation, I think that that's true. I don't think it can be replicated outside of that Mm. with that being said it's not clear to me that that is an overriding moral principle or that that's i guess i'd have to go back to that's why i thought your penis chopping off the penis was so (laughs) it was such a fascinating thing to say because i guess i'd have to go down to like how would you how would you make a judgment that that's a good and I know that must sound like it's no, presupposed no, no. in the natural phenomenon itself, yeah. but to say that it's a good, you have to import something else onto that. Sure. Um, like but, facts. Well, maybe. I mean, you are absolutely right. There, there are contingent circumstances where, for example, if you've got abusive parents yeah. right, and the parents go on to abuse the children. Okay, well, obviously, we, ha- we have a moral obligation to interrupt the relationship between the mother and the child, the father 100%, and the child, 100%. In, in order to protect the child, right? That's right. absolutely the case. No argument. But the thing is, I don't think you can know in advance, I mean, I mean maybe there are going to be situations in which you can, where you've got a, a long-standing pattern of behavior yeah. from, you know, a pedophile has a baby, and you're just like, okay, well, we can't really allow them to have that, right? Um, but in almost all cases, but even then, that's a severely... Um, extenuating circumstance right so it's not the default that you would have it would have to be no we've got real strong and legitimate concerns that actually to allow nature to take its course here is going to result in the abuse and Ah, psychological ah, so it is consequences then so the consequences have to it's all things again it's never not any of these things and it's it and but this is why you have to have absolutely concrete uh, and uncontroversial reasons to be able to take that action. To simply say, well, these two gay men would like a baby. It's no, not, I agree. So, that, so, okay, so we're, this we're totally on a uh, hundred, we're on the same that, page. So that's there has to be a kind of. Take a, a child away from their mother. But if the, right. mother, the mother is going to literally burn it with, with cigarettes or something. Right. So that we're not talking about those uh, yeah. cases. So you're absolutely right. We, we can't just, and this is where I think I had a, a Twitter spat with Matt Walsh. Uh, or, or he, you know, so, so you can't just accept that your moral positions should be adopted by the society. Like you have to make argument, you have to give reasons for those, and then they percolate into jurisprudence. Or we, mm-hmm. 
you know, we that's why conversation, discourse, dialogue, and healthy discussion are so important. So, yeah, you do have that. It is important to make that argument, and it is important to trace those steps. So, for me, this argument comes down to: I, I, there is something I want to say. Like, I don't know. Like, it's not morally seductive, but there is something like I got something inside me telling me that there is something to that. I'll have to crystallize what that is, that bond between a mother well, this and is the why child. It's spiritual, even though I'm not referring to yeah, religion, yeah. right? Yeah. Because it, it's it's just a sense. It's a feeling. It's a sentiment. It's an intuition. You know, it's it's something very pre-rational. Yeah, I wonder if that's been put in me by society or if that's what yeah. something I should have. I, I, yeah, exactly. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. And I, I'm, you know, and I don't know anyone who could probably tease that out and explain it rationally but the, but this is the thing isn't it like okay so we've got a bunch of stuff here that we can't really rationally determine but we know is real you recognize the the, the sacredness of the bond between a mother and a child. i like the word sacred but i'll i yeah i know but I yes know. but, but the yes thing is, like, i re- reckon right this, this is why when you see a mother mistreating her child you get a physical correct repulsion right you know, it, you know if i see kids skipping school I don't get the sort of physical repulsion I would get if I saw a mother abusing her child, right? Like that, you would be like, hang on a second. You have, and it's, and it's almost like a divine thing, right? And I can see easily why the religious people go, well, yeah, obviously God made it that way. God made you feel that. And I, I can see why they said, I'm yeah. not saying I believe that. Yeah, yeah. Like you still get the in, intrinsic repugnance. How could you hurt your child? Yeah. You know, how could you do this to sadistically hurt your child? And so, you, you know what I mean? It, it's definitely yeah, better. Yeah, yeah definitely there even if we can't properly describe it yeah it's, i mean it, it must be evolutionarily programmed right, right. and so it, it is hard to not have it fall into the naturalistic fallacy it, it does seem that uh in one way or another we do have to articulate those impulses mm. and then assess them in some way even mm. if we're not using scientific and measurements this, but yeah there, there's some sort of assessment that we have to make. exactly and this yeah. is what the religious people are saying yeah this yeah. is that they're saying look we've got the fuzzy language that deals with human intuition and feeling yeah we're not going to give you data, but we are going to give you something you feel. They have the wrong method of assessment, I'd argue. An ancient well, text. Well, you were, you were, you were, you were secular <laughs> yeah. liberal atheist. Would argue <laughs> right. that, right? And, and that's, I've argued this as right, well as right. a secular liberal atheist. Right. Um, but like, I'm, I'm coming to the conclusion that the reality that we live in is a lot more complex than yeah, actually yeah, yeah. The, sure. the sort of rationalistic enlightenment is prepared to admit. And these really fuzzy, sentimental concepts they have real validity and they definitely inform the way we behave because there's something true about them. Yeah. It is true that the individual relationship between this mother and this child is irreplaceable and un- unreplicable. So, so, so I, I guess what, what hasn't come up that I'm curious, the argument that I always hear is, well, you're like renting a woman's body. Oh, they, yeah. I mean, I, they, these I are all that, things I would say are downstream from the primary concern, but that is. You know. uh, okay. Well, I mean, can we address some of those sure, yeah, secondary yeah, or tertiary yeah. concerns? So, so like, I don't understand that because, like, all manual labor is that. Have you seen the pictures of those dudes yeah. on the oil rigs, like, moving those? Like, okay. So you're renting yeah. some guy's body for that. But, like, but you can't some, rent a woman's. Like, but this is where we get into again that some things are noble and some things are ignoble. Yeah. For example, prostitution is an ignoble pursuit. In most people's conception of what you know, when you make a noble, ignoble calculation, whereas manual labor is a very noble thing to do. Right, so let me throw this out. Getting back to your point about what evidence informs how we can just use, a quick thing. Yeah. like the, what I'm saying is essentially the, it does come down to the distinction of sacred and profane. It gen- genuinely does come down to. That. Okay, well that's why I was going to try to circumvent that. I know, but that's the, what it's rooted in. 
Well, okay. Well, let, let me let me let me throw this out to you. I don't have this data. I did see we'll, we'll this. Just make it up, and I'm sure that there's a lot of cause. But we can just do the magic wand thing where we can mm-hmm. pretend something's true for two minutes. Yeah. Let's say so. Your claim, th- so the claim on the table is that prostitution is ignoble. Yeah. But let's say that I could show you through these rigorous cross cultural studies, et cetera, we go all around the world and we find every place that's legalized prostitution, and even as an experiment, 20 years in the future, Saudi Arabia, ever, rape rates are way down. Yeah. Would that change your, so, so then you'd have a scale, right? With one bucket, rape rates down, the other one bucket, which would weigh heavier on the scale? Um, it depends how you're judging it. Because Is it a moral scale? It, yeah, exactly. You're, 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 you've yeah, got it's a, a scale for ignoble. Scale. Like, would it still be ignoble? Yeah, it'll it be, actually, yeah of course. Say, okay. Because what the, the nobility of it is based in this sort of pre-theoretical spiritual view of what it is to have a good human life. Um, and for example, uh-huh. the, the problem that you have is that these sort of metaphysical categories of husband and wife yeah. are imbued with moral value. Right. Even if it's just coming out of our traditions from an evolutionary perspective, like these things have moral value and prostitute interferes with that actually. Okay, but so, I'll, I'll throw a counter example then if I may. Right, yeah, okay. so, so for a lot of Man, I just want to be clear. I'm not trying to condemn every prostitute or anything like that. No, no, no. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm hypothetically. It's it's a hypothetical. It's all hypotheticals, but that won't stop people from memeing it out and calling you Nazi. Me and I'm a Nazi. Everybody's a Nazi. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So, (laughs) gotten that out of the way. Sold that. Yeah. (laughs) Done. Um, But so, in, in that. In that conception of a good life and what it is to have a good life, you have men, and I'll just be very blunt with you, they can't have sex. Like nobody wants to have sex with them. And so having a sexual relate no, I'm actually not <laughs> speaking for myself, but uh some men, I don't know who they are, but uh yeah. so so those people, for them to have a good life, and if they have maybe they don't lack the social skills or what have you, going to a prostitute for them would help them. I'm not gonna say it's gonna live a virtuous life or a good life, but it would certainly be better than the option of not having sex. Sure. And I'm not saying that. That's what that's why I'm not saying that- But it would undermine your argument that it's ignoble. No, it, you can still do things that are ignoble uh, because you have a physical necessity or desire to do that thing, right? I mean, like it, it's a, it's always going to be ignoble to take drugs, you know, but people will still do it because it, there are other aspects to it that they find pleasurable, but they're never going to be proud that they're a drug taker. All right, let me ask you a question. Well, I mean, they shouldn't be. Anyway. Let me ask you a question. Might be while they're on drugs. Well, yeah, maybe, yeah. But let me let me, let me ask you a question. Mm-hmm. So let's say that we had a prostitute who <clears throat> was a woman. And she have you know rock bottom fees, 50, 50 pence or wow, 50 that cents. sounds cheap to me. Uh, <laughs> yeah. However, she only slept with um, disabled individuals. Sure. Would you still consider that ignoble? The very act of prostitution is an ignoble thing. Okay, so it doesn't matter what the outcome is. It doesn't like there's something intrinsic and, in the act. Yeah, but the thing is, this is not the only thing to consider about the act. I mean, the reason that you present that kind of framework is because there are other things that in a way are goods and you can relate on a human level that, okay, that, you know, you're like stealing to feed hungry children. Right. Right. It's always wrong. Still, it's always a wrong thing to do to steal because that's someone else's labor. You are stealing right. from them, but that's not the only moral consideration with what's going on. And so, yeah, okay. You know, like Aladdin stealing bread to feed to the kids and stuff. Yeah. It was a bad thing to do, but it's not the only moral aspect of what's happened here. And so, you know, these things are complicated and messy and fuzzy. Right. And, 
know, so I'm hard lines. I'm asking you that, and I I kind of went after you, if you will, for for, for, for that ignoble thing, because I'm wondering if there's Stand something on. intrinsic in the concept of surrogacy in the same way that it's intrinsic in the in the concept of prostitution. Like, is yeah. there something intrinsic in surrogacy, surrogacy rather like? It's the rift between, or, or, or the schism between what's natural, what's not natural, to use the word you used before, proper. Yeah. Like, is there something inherently problematic in that? There, I think for a lot of people there is. Okay, so that... Like I said, I'm not saying it's for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think but this is what a lot of people perceive on a gut level. Yeah, and I think that's, I think you're right. And I think that's what, when you have a conversation about this, we should figure out if, if the thing that is intrinsically bother, bothers you about the act is the thing which ought to bother you about the act. Yeah. Because it could be it's just a cultural artifact, or it could be that we have these impulses but I, I'm one gonna, way or I'm, the other. I'm going to defer to Burke on this and just say, look, our prejudices are kind of the uh, lessons of history uh, manifesting unconsciously through our choices and our disgust mechanisms. So, I mean, there, there are definitely reasons why people would not like that. They're not necessarily rational, but that doesn't mean they're not good reasons. Right. So as in, they may not be able to articulate why, but, uh, if like surrogacy became something like literally everyone did, then you might find yourself ending up with a society of people who literally can't relate to women. Right. I mean, one, one of the arguments would be like, well, men and women are different. And so if all the boys are raised by two gay men, well, what are they going to know of what women think? You know, how are they going to relate to them? things like this? And so who knows, but this is a problem that like, it, the ancient prejudice has been like, no, you don't do that because, and it doesn't even have a because you, you just don't do it. But underlying it was the uh, was the iterative um, Bayesian learning that no, yeah, yeah. men and women have to spend time in each other's company. They yeah. have to. You want a wholesome, healthy thing. You know, that sort of thing, you know? Do you think sometimes, that it's, I mean, it sort of sounds like we're trying to assess intuitions and see, mm. essentially what Peter's trying to do is see the outcome. So yeah. sometimes that iterative process, it, it may actually be negative, right? I mean, for instance, if 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 we have, let's say, let's say that most people are typically a, like a little bit racist because they they're worried about someone who looks different from them. Yeah. But we've learned, you know, maybe through another iterative process that it's not really good to be exclusive and to treat people horribly just because they have different skin color. So is there is there a corrective mechanism there? Yeah. The, well, everything's a corrective mechanism. Like yeah. so. Um, for example, I, I actually think the problem with racism isn't discrimination; it's maltreatment, sure. it's unfair treatment, sure. actually. And and so so now we're not on a rational foundation. Now we're on it felt wrong to watch you abuse that guy because he's black. Mm -hmm. You know that's what, we, and that's a fair judgment. Everyone can make judgments like that and do every day. But now if we go, oh, well, it's discriminatory. Now we've stigmatized the concept of discrimination, which used to be a very positive character trait. You discriminate all the time, exactly. We and it used to be a compliment. Oh, he's a very discriminating young man. Right. You know, that used to be a compliment because that is a compliment, you know, um, but John's pointing out that we are about to hit time. Okay. Um, so, but they, but they, and there are other moral foundations that we can use with which to address things like racism. Because I mean, it's not fair is the, the easiest way to just say, right. don't be racist to that guy. It's not fair to him. Right. right. But it's not right to say, don't discriminate. No, I have to discriminate. <laughs> you know? Like it's necessary if I want my airlines not to drop out of the sky <laughs> traveling to America next, you know? So, you know, and it's totally fair to discriminate in circumstances like that. So there are different moral frames. But anyway, hate to do it, guys, because um, we've run out of time, and so I can't go through any of the comments. So um, I'd just like to thank Peter and Travis for joining us, because I think this has been a brilliant set thank of conversations. You. Thank, so you, thank you, Thank you.
piece of where can people find more from you uh on twitter at peter bogosian i'm on youtube i think it's the same B- peter b-o-g-h-o-s-s-i-n we go all around the world we make videos a, you, we did a yes yeah, 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 yeah. we did a, a a video you did a video with needle power and that yeah. oh yeah yeah, yeah i right. think it went viral on instagram yeah. and then there's there, and i have a sub stack as well and there's travis over there it's very well received by women wasn't it like, I think oh, it was, yeah. I think if really memory serves, and I think yeah. that's why it went viral on the Instagram. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's lots of women like, yeah, he's right about men, men and women. Yeah. And I was like, thank God. Yeah, 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 I'm, yeah. I'm told I'm far right when it comes to that. Yeah, yeah. Lots of women are far right, it turns out. Um, and <laughs> Travis, where can people find you? Uh, on Twitter, I'm at Become the Signal, and on YouTube, uh, it's at The Signal Productions. And then I also have a lot of content on locals, which is travisbrown.locals.com. Great. Okay. Well, like I said, thanks a lot for joining us, guys. Uh, for those gold tier members, we'll be back in about half an hour to have the gold tier hangout for the month. And otherwise, have a great weekend, folks, and we'll see you on Monday.